like to begin by opening up to Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll read to you, starting in the 17th verse. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not, and let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And then one other verse, just skipping ahead a little bit into the next chapter, Ephesians 5, 8. For ye were sometimes darkness... But now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. This morning, I'd like to speak to you about darkness. The darkness of this world. I'd like to speak to you about how God shines light into the world. And then lastly, about how we take up that light and shine the light of God in this world. This passage that I read begins speaking about how we walk. How we walk. Do we walk in darkness or do we walk in light? And chapter 4 began by saying that I beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling wherewith you are called. We have, when we speak of walking, we have really an illustration of something. It's representing something. If you think back to the time in which this was written, even more so than today, walking would have been how people got around. And walking is used as a kind of metaphor or illustration for the normal course of your life. Walking is how you go through life, how you proceed from day to day, how you live, interact with others, how you speak, how your way is. And so when it speaks about walking, it's talking about how we live in light of what we have been called to be and to do. You have an amazing, an incredible 
calling, a vocation wherewith you are called. That is, you are called to be the family of God, the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are called to be the bride of Christ. You are called to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are called to live the life of Jesus Christ in this world. And so in light of what God has done to save you and call you to that calling, now we are exhorted to live in accordance with that and walk worthy of that calling. That our our lives might fitly reflect the grace that we have received from God and thereby shine forth his glory and his light in a dark world. And so we are called that we were darkness and now we are light and we are called to walk as the children of light. But first, let us look at this darkness. He begins by exhorting them not to any more walk as the other Gentiles walk. And that phrasing is such that he's speaking of a universal condition of this world in which we live. When he speaks about the Gentiles, he's speaking about the nations of the world. And it was uh, primarily used to refer to the nations outside of the nation of Israel, which God had chosen and enlightened them with the truth of the worship of the true God. And all the other nations were living in a state of darkness. There were times where people in those nations were enlightened to the truth of God. That is true. But as a whole, the nations of the world were walking in a state of what's called ignorance and darkness because they did not have the knowledge of the true God. They did not have the revelation of the true God. Their, Their hearts were hardened to it and they were walking through this world in blindness. We have that illustration of a walk. And I want to imagine yourself on a walk. Imagine that you're walking through the woods. Taking a hike, perhaps. That can be a very pleasant thing. Except in this uh, visualization, I want you to imagine that when you're walking through the woods, you're walking through in utter darkness. Stumbling around without the ability to see the path before you and how to go. And that is what it is like in a spiritual sense to walk through this world of darkness without the knowledge of God in our hearts. And that is the universal condition of the nations of this world, of the people of this world. And so when Paul is exhorting us as the church of Jesus Christ to not anymore walk as other Gentiles walk, he's talking about us turning from our former way of life or from the way of life of the people Uh, In whom we are in the midst of something that is all around us everywhere. Something that we ourselves are not immune to or 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 uh, unable to walk in. But he's calling us to be different, to live different, to have uh, the knowledge that God has given us live its way out in our lives. So he says uh, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. And then he mentions several things that describe the bleak picture of the darkness of this world. We live in a dark world. Spiritual darkness is all around. We experience it. We live it. Sometimes we participate in it. We come face to face with it in so many ways. 
And here he describes the darkness of the way in which the hearts, the minds, and the lives of the people of the nations were being lived out. He says they, live, they walk in the vanity of their mind. The vanity of their mind. That word vanity, it portrays an emptiness. An emptiness. It's like if you uh, could imagine that you were in a desert and you're walking through this desert for miles and miles and you are thirsty. And, and you come up on, you see a long way off that it had... It had recently rained, so there was some water that had come down. And you see a vessel just, to, just in the distance, in the horizon. You, and you walk up to this vessel. You see this vessel is of a sufficient size. And perhaps you hope that it has caught some water that you can use to quench your thirst. And so you get closer and you get closer. And, and the closer you get, the more uh, you, you crave what's in that vessel, the, that it had caught the rains that had come. Just before. But when you come up to the vessel and you look inside, you realize that in the bottom of the vessel, there are holes. And rather than it catching that water to quench your thirst, it's completely empty. And that is like the spiritual condition of the minds of living in this world without the knowledge of God. Vanity and uselessness. Having their understanding darkened. And this speaks about the darkness, that, that the, the understanding that they have is darkened to worship idols, to worship anything other than the true and the living God. Don't have a simplistic idea of idolatry, because yes, people have uh, created physical idols with wood and stone throughout the times, but an idol is anything, any created thing that we worship instead of God. That we dedicate and we put as the highest priority in our lives. And that could be a physical thing. That could be a person. That could be a a philosophy. It could be an idea. But anything that takes the first place of God in our hearts and in our minds becomes an idol. And it leads to darkness. Darkened understanding. Being alienated from the life of God. Now, This just shows how bleak this condition is. This is a bleak, hopeless condition. Alienated from the life of God. The life of God is there. It's all around us. It's everywhere. And yet somehow because of the darkness of sin and the darkness of our condition, we are separated from it, cut off from it, unable to access it. Even though God's presence and his And his power and his glory is all around us. We're cut off from it, alienated because of the blindness of the heart. Or this could also be understood as the hardness of the heart, as it's often talked about. That's an image, a powerful image, the blindness of the heart. Blindness speaks about a, a constant state of darkness, stumbling around. And, And hardness of heart speaks about how it's unable to be touched. It's unable to be touched with a sorrow, a godly sorrow for sin. Unable to be touched with sympathy and compassion for the injustice and the oppression in the world. Unable to be touched with the, the pain that our sin causes those around us. Who being past feeling 
have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, past feeling. Now it's not, it's gotten so, that state of darkness has gotten so bad that they, they don't even feel it anymore. You know, we are all in this, in this life, we are all created as a natural part of our creation. We have a conscience. We have a certain level of awareness of right and wrong. Uh, even the creation itself around us when we witness it, it testifies to us of the nature and the being of God. It tells us about his eternal power and his Godhead. And we have, a, we have in our conscience, we have a sense of right and wrong. But those that love sin and love darkness, when they pursue wrong, what happens is their conscience at first, it might prick them. It might cause them to realize that what they're doing is not right. But instead of listening to that, instead of being humbled by that, that desire to pursue the sin overcomes the conscience. And the conscience is instead described as being seared with a hot iron. Seared with there's a very like like it cannot even feel anymore. It's become so hard and so tough that it cannot be penetrated. And that is in contrast to a phrase that comes up in the in the Old Testament when it speaks about King David. King David, who was uh, a, a a a sinner in so many ways. Turned away from God at different times in different ways. But, but in places it spoke about how he sinned against God. And then it says his heart smote him. That is a, an act of grace of God. When we sin against God and our heart smites us. Like this warrior. This mighty warrior who had slayed hun- hundreds of his enemies in battle. Sinning against God laid him low in his heart because he was humble before the living God. But not so with these that is described as walking in darkness. They're uh, beyond feeling. They don't even feel it anymore. They've gone so far that their heart is not even pricked with that conscience of sin. Giving themselves over unto lasciviousness. Speaking about the lust and the sensuality to work all uncleanness with greediness. This is a dark world in which we live, in which we walk. And it is, uh, it is a darkness that is encompassing everything. I think about the language that's in the very first verses of the Bible when it describes God's work of creation. And it speaks about how uh, in the beginning God created all things and then it describes his acts of creation. And one of the things that it describes, it says, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. The deep, the ocean, the abyss, this vast abyss stretching out with, with vast emptiness and covered with a permeating darkness everywhere. And that is like the spiritual condition of the world into which God mercifully shined his light. 
In Psalm 82, verse 5, it says this. It says, speaking about the rulers of this world. It says, they know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. It's like the very things that uphold the earth itself are shaken. They're out of, they're out of place. They're not, they're not how they're supposed to be. Things are broken. Things are dark. Things are fallen. There is a thick spiritual darkness permeating the world. But. Praise God that in his mercy, he has shined light into this world in such a way that that light is a sovereign light that has power even over the darkness itself. Just like in the beginning of the creation for the physical darkness of this world, it says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. This darkness is not hopeless because we have a God of light. There's a passage in Isaiah that speaks about those that fear the Lord. Isaiah 50:10, that calls upon those who are find themselves walking in darkness without light. And maybe you've all felt that way at different times. That you were walking in darkness and you felt like you didn't have any light. Who is among you? Isaiah 50:10. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? What are you to do? What are you to do? Well, the rest of the verse says this. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. And I'll tell you why you can do that. Why you can trust in the name of the Lord. Because God has shined light into darkness. In particular, in so many ways throughout history. Yes, as it says about him speaking in diverse ways at various times unto the fathers by the prophets. But most of all, most of all, through sending Jesus Christ into this world. When John begins his account of the gospel, he parallels in many ways the creation account. He begins with the same words, in the beginning. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Up to that point, we understand he's speaking about something, someone. Speaking about someone who is the immediate cause of all creation. The means by which God brought the creation into this world. The means by which the invisible, transcendent, eternal God created all things. Then he goes on to speak about it. And he says, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. Jesus himself would later say, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. We have hope today because God did not leave this world in darkness. God did not abandon the world to its darkness, but God himself entered into the darkness 
and shined with a light that was so bright that it could dispel the darkness all around it in such a sovereign and powerful way. Now, if we had, if we turned off all the lights in here today and we were in this dark room and someone lit even a very small flame, it would be quite amazing how pretty soon even the little bit of light would allow us to see so much more than we could before. Even a small light can have power over the darkness, but this light that shined is the light of the world that gives light upon the entire world, upon the nations that shines into their darkness and gives the light of life. And he does so by entering into that darkness itself. That passage in John, it goes on to say, it says that the light shineth in, in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. The light shined in the darkness. The darkness could not understand it. The darkness could not stop it. The darkness could not prevent it from accomplishing its purpose. But it shined into the darkness. And I want to think about how he did this. How he did this. He came into this world. He didn't stand afar off from it, but he entered into it. The word, that word was made flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. He took on our existence, our human existence. And he experienced the hunger and the pain. He experienced being abandoned by his friends. He experienced being betrayed by some closest to him. He experienced the sorrow of loss, the grief, the sorrow of death. He experienced physical pain. He experienced hunger. He experienced being tired. He experienced being unjustly hated. He experienced being accused, falsely accused, without cause. He entered into that suffering. A friend of mine who's a pastor once told me about how someone had asked the question, a question that's often asking is how, why does God allow the suffering in this world? And he said, he said, God, God doesn't allow the suffering. God enters into the suffering. He came and he participated in the suffering. He didn't just stand off and, and watch it happen. He came and he felt it and he lived it. He breathed it. He walked it. He felt it in the nails that pierced his hands and his feet. He felt it in the words of those surrounding him on the cross as they mocked him and they said, He saved others, let him save himself. He felt it in the thorns piercing into his head. He felt it when his dearest friend, on this, one of his dearest friends on this earth, when questioned about him, when things got tough, said, I don't know the man. He felt it when Judas, who he'd, who he'd taught and had been with him every step of the way in his ministry, came up and kissed him as he betrayed him over to his death. He felt it when the crowds, the multitudes surrounding him, were surrounding him, chanting, crucify him, crucify him, the ones that he'd fed the ones that he taught, that he'd healed. And the crowds were there. No one rising up to, to defend him or to, 
stand for his cause, but instead delivering him over to death. It says he came unto his own, and his own received him not. And he did that for you and for me. He did it that he might, by taking on the darkness himself, by by living it and feeling it and entering into it, he would overcome it. So he could say, not empty words, he could say, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And we have seen that. We have heard that. We have experienced that. We have lived it one by one and together as God has shined the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ into our hearts. As God has worked sovereignly by his spirit to enlighten us to the truth of that hope we have. Of a conscience cleansed by the blood of Christ. Of a life transformed and saved by him from the guilt that we justly ought to have borne ourselves. And yet he in his mercy, in his sacrifice, took it upon himself. And so he that entered into the darkness, shined in the darkness, and overcame the darkness by a light which was unstoppable, which was bright. And so we have that light now, and we have that light. So if you are on that walk, and you're walking in those dark woods, what you need more than anything is you need light to shine. And if the light shines, walk by that light. We have been given the light. We have been given it by the grace of God, and he calls us to walk In that light that he has given. We couldn't produce it on our own. We had no light of our own to give. But he has shined it into our lives. And so we're called to walk by it. 2 Corinthians 4.6. It says this. About that sovereign work of God. As he enlightens darkened hearts and minds. See, when we started, we started going through, it seems like a it seems like a very bleak and hopeless condition. And and apart from the light of God, it would be that only leads to 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 devastation and, and destruction. But in the light of God, there is hope. Ephesians, uh, sorry, Second Corinthians four, six for God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that's the light we need more than anything else. Now, even if we, even if we had no earthly light for our eyes, even if we were blind, I think, um, I think it's Fanny Crosby, one of the greatest hymn writers of all time. I believe she might've been blind. Um, I may be mixing that up, but but she had a light that shined into her life that could not uh, be compared with being able to see these earthly visions. She saw the light of God shine into her heart, the light of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So that she could say, like Paul said, God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven me. My sins are forgiven. I have a hope of of 
a conquering of death itself. I have a hope that God will raise the dead from the graves. I have a hope that he'll give me comfort and strength in the midst of my troubles and my sorrows. I have a hope that I have an eternal inheritance that fadeth not away when all the things of this world grow dim and fade and wither away like the grass which is here today and gone tomorrow, that that cannot be taken. I have a hope that the God of the universe who created all things has even the very hairs of your head numbered. He knows every intimate detail of you, of what you're going through, your physical condition, but also the condition of your heart, your grief, your pain, your sorrow, your confusion, your questions. He knows it like he knows the count of the hairs on your very head. And you're valuable to him. That's the kind of knowledge that God shines into the hearts of his people so that we can be triumphant in the face of the darkness of this world. And because of this, because of this, we are called to shine as well. We are called to shine as well. We, we, we began by seeing how, how we are, have this high calling of living the life of Christ in this world. And as he goes on and begins to give the practical instruction. See, because uh, much of this I, I realize I speak in generalities. But he gets into the specifics as well. How that affects how we speak. Whether we lie or tell the truth. Whether we tear someone down by our words or encourage them and and build them up by our words. Whether we steal, whether we're always uh, looking to take from everyone else around them. Or whether we work with our hands so that we might have something to give to those that are in need. It's not an abstract, distant concept, but it affects every area of our life. Whether we live our lives in the darkness of sin and continue to sear our conscience over or whether we're tender to the uh, word of God and the way that he pricks our heart by the Holy Spirit. And we do not grieve it, but we listen to it, listen to his word, listen to him as he speaks to us. Whether we live our lives in bitterness and wrath and anger or whether we have grace and forgiveness toward one another, knowing that God has forgiven us practical in every area of our lives. And as we do, what we're doing is we're living out that life that he has given us. He says, uh, put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt, according to the deceitful lusts. Verse 22, this is something he's, he's exhorting us. It's an active thing that we're supposed to do. Take action in this. Put off the old man. Put off the former way of life. The lusts and the sin and the, and the way of the corrupt conversation. All those things. Put them off and take on something else. It's like we're being called to change out of some dirty, corrupt old stinking garments and put on bright white clean shining robes of light 
and in particular, what we're being called to put on is really the life of Christ itself. It phrases that way in another place. Put on Christ. Put on Christ. Here he says it this way. Put on the new man. Put on the new man. That new life that God has given you, which is the life of Christ in his people, given to you through the Holy Spirit. Put on that life. Wear that. Wear the light of Christ in your life, which is, create, which is after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. It's like, it's like the time Jesus took uh, just a couple of his closest disciples up into the mountain. And it said that in the mountain he was transfigured before them and he just shone with a brightness. See, the brightness of God, the, Jesus is, is he's called the uh, express image of his person. It's called the brightness of his glory. In him all the fullness of the Godhead dwelleth bodily. In the body of Jesus, in the earthly human form of Jesus, uh, concealed behind that veil is all the glory of God. But it wasn't being shown all the time in all its fullness. It would have, in just even in a natural sense, it would have blinded with his brightness. But in the mount, he was transfigured before them and they got a glimpse of what his true glory is. And he just shone with a brightness. Beams of light were shooting out of him everywhere. And that's the kind of garment that we're called to put on to shine into this world. Not our own light. Not our own light, but the life of Christ. Because he who said, I am the light of the world, also said to his disciples said to you and I, said to his disciples back in that time, in Matthew 5, 14, he said, ye are the light of the world. And that's only possible if if we have the light of Christ in us. It's only possible if he who is truly himself, in himself, the light of the world, is living inside of us and shining through us. It's kind of like the image of the candlestick as the illustration symbol of the church given in Revelation, the candlestick. The candlestick shines, it holds up the light. And that's what we're called to do. We are the light of the world in as much as the life of Christ, the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is living in us. And we're shining it into the world Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We see that we are called to live good works. Those good works are not lived... Uh, They're not lived to justify us before God. They're not lived to earn his favor. He's already given that to us freely by grace. And we live because of it and not in order to earn it. And we don't uh, even do those good works so that people would see the good works and praise us. 
but the good works, he says, that they may see your good works and praise your Father that is in heaven. That is, that our lives would be such that even when we live righteous and holy in this world, it's not us that people see, but it's the life of Jesus Christ in us. So as ye are now light and not darkness, walk as children of light.